Welcome to Current Radio's Politics Station. Please enjoy today's selection of political news. Abby, it seems like the political landscape in the Philippines is getting heated. Indeed, Michael. Former President Rodrigo Duterte, who announced his retirement from politics after his term ended in June 2022, is now hinting at a return. And the reason for this sudden change of heart? Well, it seems to be a response to rumors of an impeachment complaint against his daughter, Vice President Sara Duterte, over the use of confidential funds. Confidential funds, those are usually related to national security matters, right? Yes, and apparently there's been some controversy over the use of these funds by civilian agencies. The vice president herself withdrew a funding request after the issue became divisive, but her father, Duterte, didn't take it lightly. He went on live TV and accused Congress of being the most rotten institution. Wow, strong words. And didn't he also accuse the House Speaker, who is a cousin of President Ferdinand Marcos Jr., of having presidential ambitions for 2028? Exactly. And this accusation led to the filing of the first criminal complaint against the former president. So is Duterte serious about returning to politics? It's hard to say, Mikkel. Duterte is known for changing his mind on political decisions, but his recent comments seem to reflect a resentment against attempts to undercut his family's political influence. And it's not just the impeachment rumors. The House has also been discussing the potential entry of international criminal court investigators into the country. They're looking into Duterte's role in the war on drugs. That's right. Even Vice President Duterte had to issue a statement about it saying that supporting the ICC investigation is an insult to the country's independence and the integrity of the local judicial process. It seems like the political drama in the Philippines is far from over. Definitely, Michael. And it's going to be interesting to see how these events unfold in the coming months. From the heat of political drama in the Philippines, we now turn our attention to a different kind of political turbulence that's stirring up Central Europe's monetary policy. It's a delicate balance of power and policy, where the actions of central bank governors are not just influencing economies, but also shaping the political landscape. Stay tuned as we delve into this fascinating situation. Abby, let's dive into the political turbulence that's causing a stir in Central Europe's monetary policy, shall we? Absolutely, Michael. It's a fascinating situation. Central bank governors in Poland and Hungary are facing political disputes over their rate-setting policies. Right. In Poland, Governor Adam Glapinski stands accused of using rate cuts to boost the economy and help his allies in the Law and Justice Party during the elections. And it seems the plan backfired as they didn't secure a new term. Meanwhile, in Hungary, Governor Jordi Matolci is under pressure from Viktor Orban's government to cut rates further. This is all happening against a backdrop of regional inflation that's notably higher than in Western Europe. And it's not just the inflation. The political noise is causing concerns for investors who are willing to brave Central Europe's polarized politics. But so far, the perception that the U.S. Federal Reserve has put a break on monetary tightening has shielded them from losses over the political noise. But the pressure is on. Investors and credit rating agencies are closely monitoring the situation, especially given that inflation is still over target and unlikely to get back on track until late 2025, right? Karen Vardapetov, lead analyst for sovereign ratings at S&P Global Ratings, 
noted that the credibility of CEE central banks will be put to the test in the coming years. And there's a precedent for concern. A World Bank survey found that political meddling in central bank policy led to sustained periods of high inflation in emerging market economies like Turkey and Argentina. Investor worries about central bank independence add to long-standing criticisms about the rule of law in Poland and Hungary, which have seen billions of euros of funds suspended by the EU due to concerns about a backsliding of democratic standards. So it's a delicate balance. And the incoming Polish government is building a legal case that could see Glapinski put before the state tribunal. The governor, of course, has denied the allegations. And in Hungary, all eyes are on how Matolci, a former Orban ally turned critic, will handle the government's demands for further rate cuts. The central bank has already cut borrowing costs significantly. It's a complex situation, and it's clear that how politics in Poland and Hungary influence their central banks will impact investor perceptions and, by extension, the country's financial futures. Absolutely, Abby. As Arif Joshi at Lazard Asset Management put it, the less independent the central bank, the more real yield you need to have to be compensated for the risk. From the complexities of Central European politics and their impact on the financial world, we now turn our attention to a deeply personal and pressing issue closer to home. It's a story that underscores the urgent need for compassion, understanding, and societal change in our own backyard. Let's delve into this poignant matter that affects our youth and our future. Today, we're diving into a deeply sensitive and pressing issue. Abby, the story of Pranshu, a 16-year-old queer teen who died by suicide after facing mass online bullying, has been making rounds. It's a tragic reminder of the lived reality of thousands of queer kids in this country. Indeed, Michael. This is not an isolated incident. The bullying and discrimination faced by queer kids, especially during middle and high school, is alarmingly common. And it's not just name-calling, it's physical and sexual violence, too. And the long-term effects are devastating. According to a 2019 UNESCO report, physical bullying affects 60% of high school and middle school students and 50% of students in higher secondary schools. This needs to stop. We cannot lose any more kids to... Exactly, Michael. And it's not just about stopping the bullying. It's about creating an environment of acceptance and understanding. Schools and institutions need to be equipped to deal with this issue properly. Sadly, efforts to do so have been met with resistance. A teacher training manual put out by the NCRT to help queer children was pulled down after opposition. It's disheartening to see such initiatives being thwarted. Yes, it's a clear indication that we need a shift in societal attitudes. The survival of LGBTQ plus kids is a basic issue. We need teachers who are trained to encourage queer kids to take steps to ameliorate bullying and show acceptance. And it's not just about the schools. The media, too, plays a role. The death of Pranchu didn't get the attention it deserved. It's as if the suicide and death of queer persons are not as palatable a queer issue as marriage. But we must remember them. We must say their names. Anjana Harish, Avinshu Patel, Arve Malhotra, Pranchu, and countless others that we may never know. Their lives were not disposable. They mattered, and they still do. Absolutely, Abby. It's a sobering reminder of the work that needs to be done. The fight for equality and acceptance continues, and we won't let the world forget them. As we continue to grapple with the harsh reality of the struggles faced by the LGBTQ community, 
it's clear that the fight for acceptance and equality is a global one. Speaking of global issues, let's shift our focus to another part of the world where tension and conflict continue to make headlines. We turn now to the Middle East, where a tenuous truce has been holding between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. This pause in action brings its own set of challenges and questions. Michael, let's dive into this situation. Abby, let's dive into the Middle East situation. The pause in Israel's actions against Hamas in Gaza has surprisingly held, despite the deep-seated animosity between the two sides. The question now is how long this uneasy truce will last. Thoughts? Well, Michael, it's a delicate balance. The truce has allowed the release of 58 hostages so far and opened the way for much-needed aid into Gaza. However, both sides have their own motivations for maintaining the truce, and these could shift at any moment. Moreover, with President Biden back in Washington, the wider geopolitical implications are coming into focus. The situation could easily escalate again. Indeed, Abby. The political implications are significant. For Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, the return of more hostages could alleviate some of the intense pressure he's been under. On the other hand, Hamas benefits from a pause in Israeli airstrikes and ground operations. It's a complex situation. And then there's the U.S. role. Exactly, Michael. The U.S. has its own interests in the region. Biden has a strong imperative to delay or prevent more civilian casualties in Gaza, both for humanitarian reasons and to manage a potential domestic political backlash. The fate of American hostages is also a key concern for the U.S. But if the truce ends, will U.S. support for Israel's right to target Hamas remain as strong? It's a delicate balance. And it's not just the U.S. and Israel. The ripple effects of the conflict are being felt far and wide. For instance, three Palestinian college students were shot in Burlington, Vermont. While the motive is still unclear, civil rights groups are calling for a bias probe. The conflict has also sparked a rise in anti-Semitism, making American Jews feel less safe. It's a global issue. Absolutely, Michael. The conflict is having far-reaching effects. But let's focus on the immediate situation. The fate of the remaining hostages is deeply uncertain. The strategic goals of Israel or Hamas could shift at any moment, potentially reigniting the conflict. The current pause is giving Hamas the ability to use the hostages as leverage, complicating Israel's vow to wipe out Hamas. And there's also the question of the sustainability of the exchanges. Three Palestinians are being released from Israeli prisons for each hostage. As the number of hostages dwindles, Hamas might lose the incentive to free large groups. This could become politically unsustainable for Netanyahu, whose government is already under strain. There's a lot at stake here. You're right, Michael. The future is uncertain. Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, summed up the delicate balancing act the president faces. He said that while Israel has a right to defend itself, Military operations must protect civilians and distinguish between terrorists and civilians. It's a complex issue, and there are no easy answers. Indeed, Abby. And let's not forget the political dynamics back home. Biden is facing criticism from both sides of the aisle. While some progressives criticize his unwavering support for Israel, others argue he's leaning too heavily on Netanyahu. It's a tightrope walk for the president. And then there's the issue of the U.S. aid package for Israel. That's another contentious issue, Michael. Biden has been pushing for Congress to pass a $14.3 billion emergency aid package for Israel. 
However, it's facing challenges in the GOP-controlled House. It's a complex situation with political maneuvering in the U.S. and the wider implications for the region. The future remains uncertain. Well said, Abby. For now, the key question is how long the truce will hold and whether more hostages will be freed. The situation is fluid and we'll have to wait and see how it unfolds.